This podcast is made possible through donations from listeners like you and our partners at Tallman Equipment, where they pride themselves on equipping their customers with the tools they need to get the job done right. They are dedicated to set the standard for quality, convenience, and reliability. At Tallman, your opinion is important to them. Rate and review any product or tool you've used on their new website at tallmanequipment.com. Line 11 Clothing Company. Making apparel for our first responders with a positive message to patriots that you can be proud of. A proceed of the cost goes to helping our foundation ignite the fire for father engagement. Give them a follow at Line11Clothing on Instagram. And last but not least, Monzingo Knives. Each knife is created with craftsmanship that only a tradesman could provide. Find them on Instagram at Monzingo Knives and get your American-made Monzingo knife today. Hello and welcome to the Show Up Dad. This podcast is created for hardworking fathers. At the Show Up Dad, we recognize that fathers providing for their children is certainly important. But when men truly understand their unique role and gain the knowledge and skills to be great fathers, they can transform future generations. Today's guest is Cody Gadden. Cody is a former U.S. Marine, a current leadership instructor, a speaker, a strategic advisor for Echelon Front. Cody spent just over five years working as a ground combat leader for various units in the Marine Corps. He has been married for six years and coming May 13th together, they have a four-year-old boy, a three-year-old boy, a two-year-old girl. In addition, they're due with another one on the fourth or, or, or their fourth one on May 11th. Congratulations, by the way, on that, brother. And uh, Cody, welcome to our show, man. Awesome, sir. Well, I appreciate you having me. And uh, yeah, we're kind of just getting ready for this, this fourth baby doing a, in about a week. So looking forward to it. Absolutely, man. That, that's so awesome that you have four. That's that that's 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 a perfect family right there you know bible talks about how blessed is a man whose quiver is full well, your quiver is definitely full brother <laughs> you know what i mean yes sir it, it, it kind of aligned me and when i went, met my wife just just under six years ago one of the first conversations we ever had was kind of about kids and we both wanted four kids and we both want them really close in age so we're we're both 30 so we've been kind of like well we have the energy now that might as well just get all four out of the way so everyone's about a year apart and uh, it's, it's a little chaotic now, but I'm sure in the end it will pay dividends. Um, but it's, yeah, I love my family. My kids are my, my greatest pride in my life. So extremely thankful. That is so awesome. You got yourself a little fire team going right there. <laughs> <laughs> well, Cody, like always, I want you to open up and tell our listeners a little bit about your childhood as you remember it, if you don't mind. Yes, sir. Absolutely. So I grew up in Northern California, uh, just above Sacramento. It's actually where I currently reside right now. So growing up, um, relatively middle class, nothing fancy. Uh, both my parents worked full time. So my mother was real in real estate and stay at home mom. So she was kind of a balancing act there which I never was really thankful for what she did until I started to have kids. And I realized just the stress that put on her and my father, he became a cop when I was three years old. And so that's all I've ever known him doing. He's still a cop in kind of the middle of California right now. And so growing up, I kind of had this unique insight on, on what parents should look like. I had a lot of, a lot of kids at that time kind of struggling in that family dynamic of people getting divorced, people getting split up. And there I was just being able to have a younger sister and have my parents who, even though they worked 40 hours plus every single week, day in, day out, they were always kind of near and dear, close by, coming to all my sporting events, being a part of everything that they did. And I never really saw behind the scenes of the effort that they put in. Because, I mean, as a kid, you're not really paying attention to that stuff. But 
I remember my father coming to my football practices in full uniform, dropping me off at school in a squad car, my mother coming from just housing, showing after showing after showing, just, just to be a part of our lives, where it would have been a lot easier to drop us off at daycares, drop us off at uh, other curricular activities, but they wanted to be in our lives as much as they could. And um, looking back at now, now that I have kids, I never really appreciated that. And I wish I would have taken the time, but I mean, when you're 10, 11, 12, you really don't you don't think that way. Um, so that was kind of me growing up. I was very engulfed in sports. I played baseball and football since I was about six years old. And so that's all I ever did. I really didn't care about school. I kind of saw it as kind of, Hey, I just got to check that box to eventually, eventually just play sports. So I did that year round. I have a sister that's about five years younger than me. So, um, that was unique. Uh, mm. luckily, not luckily, but when I graduated high school, she just got to high school. So there was this age gap we weren't really that close because, well, five years is that's a long time, especially when you're as a kid. But yeah, transitioning to nowadays, we're we're really close, um, which I, I'm really appreciative of. But yeah, I mean, nothing special as a kid, just a lot of sports. And then after high school, I'm trying to figure out what to do. Um, I thought I could make it and play sports further on, whether it's collegiate or professionally. Mm-hmm. And so sadly, I'm weighing about 140 pounds after high school. So it wasn't really in the cards. Um, but I was kind of determined, went to community college, and then I wanted to transfer, then I blew out my knee. So ACL, MCL, meniscus, and I'm trying to figure out kind of what to do in my life. Um, and there I am, 18, just doing a bunch of wrong things, hanging out with the wrong people, kind of wasting this opportunity that we have in life. And luckily at the time, I had some people that were in the military, had some family member their members that were in the military, just talking about what they were going through in Iraq and Afghanistan. And just it's it puts things into perspective. These guys are losing friends, coworkers, loved ones overseas, and I'm complaining about not being able to play a sport. Mm-hmm. It kind of dawned on me like I really don't have anything to complain about, and that that kind of like built this almost like a thread in my life to where the problems that I have are often inconveniences. There's a lot of people in this world that have a lot of worse stuff going on, and I'm complaining about my kids not taking a nap. I'm complaining about my kids not eating anywhere. There's people overseas that. I have witnessed in real time, they want to give their children up to Americans because they feel like they'll have a better chance at life. Like my problems, man, they're not problems. They're just inconveniences Mm -hmm. that I go through every single day. So at 18, hearing those stories, I kind of realized, you know what, like I I need to kind of change years. I need to do something. And before those conversations, if you ever asked me if I would have joined the military, the answer would have been absolutely not. I, I had no desire uh, I wanted to be a cop, just kind of what 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 my dad went through and just mm-hmm. watching that, I kind of had that built-in role model. And so 18 people talking about the military, I was like, no way. But after those conversations, I was like, man. And so my kind of intent, I decided to enlist in the Marine Corps. And my kind of like goal was, hey, if I was to enlist for four, five, 10, 20 years, could I potentially bring back one more person, one more father, one more mother, brother, sister, loved one, would not receive that knock on the door, then I feel like my my service would have been worth it. So I enlisted in 2010 in October in the Marine Corps and kind of the rest is history. Mm-hmm. Man, thank you for sharing that with us. Um, Cody, one of the things I picked up on was uh, a childhood memory that you had of your father. Okay. You know, when you said that your father showed up in full uniform and stuff like that, how did that make you feel? Was, was there a sense of pride? Were you like, that's my dad, you know, like well, if you can go back to that feeling, like, yes, sir. I think, if, if there was another word for pride that was like heightened, it would be that. I don't know what that word is, but pride definitely. Mm-hmm. I mean, back then you're talking nineties police, what, how people look at them now versus then was definitely yeah. 
drastically different. And so I was kind of like the kid that had a cop as a dad. And it was really cool. Uh, my dad coming into school with, with sirens and lights and stuff like that. And like, damn, like, that's cool that your dad's a cop and whatnot. And um, his ability to share like what he was going through. Mm-hmm. I mean, there I am, like as a teenager, obviously not understanding kind of what he's going through, but just him enlightening me on the struggles of just day-to-day life, not only from his perspective, but like actually people and families go through, it made me very appreciative to, to what he actually did. Cause he was making a difference for majority of my childhood. He worked where we lived. And so he was protecting and serving my friends, our family, like our neighbors. And that was extremely unique. So I think pride is, is definitely an understatement. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I, I would brag every chance that I get whenever, like when, when you're a kid, you get to talk about your parents, like career day, whatever the case may be. And I'm like, dad, like you got to come, like bring your gear. You got to show everybody all these things. And I was extremely grateful um, that he was a cop and I'm still extremely grateful that he is today. Cause it's uh, in a profession where society doesn't really see the benefits of what they do, especially nowadays. And I mean, my, my career in itself, I talked to a lot of police and fire. That's kind of one of my, my niches at echelon front, but man, I, I'm just so thankful that he took that path and he's still doing it today. And man, if, if there's another word for pride, I don't know what it is, but, that, but that's how I feel about him and, and his profession. It's awesome. You said that. Cause that resonates with me as well, because I'm in a profession as well that where no one really knows what alignment is until the power goes off or you're going into that storm when everybody's leaving, you're going in there, you know, and a good friend of mine told me one time, he's like, as a lineman, what you're really doing is you're going into a place where people have lost hope. They are leaving in droves. You're going back in there to restore hope. You're restoring that power that they need, you know? So that, that's, that's awesome to see that you recognize that in your own father. And then another thing too, is um, I remember seeing my father show up and I I've been on that opposite edge of the spectrum too, where I had career day and I got to do a little demo and showing an arc arc demo and stuff like that for my kids, or even just bringing the bucket truck home and giving the kids a ride in the truck, you know what I mean? Going up to 45 feet or whatever, you know what I mean? And they're just like super stoked and pumped. And they're looking at you like they're, you know, that's my dad, you know, and that, that, that's an amazing feeling to experience it. And then to experience it from your own children as well, you know? Yes, sir. And I think whether you're a lineman, whether you're a police officer or whether mm-hmm. you, you work in just any industry, I think there's there should always be a sense of pride in what you do, because whatever profession you're doing, like you're you're providing for your family. And that's something to be prideful about. Mm-hmm. And I loved how you compared that to the lineman, because everything kind of correlates. Yes. Police, lineman, fire, IT, whatever it is, whatever you do to provide for your family is something you should be absolutely prideful about even if you don't necessarily like your job it doesn't matter because you're doing it not only for the sake of of the company but you're doing it to to provide for your family so that they can have a better life they can have the things that they want you can go on vacations the case may be oftentimes i feel like people do forget about that they're doing that nine to five they're going to punch the clock but whether you're punching the clock or whether you love what you do there's still a return on your investment there you're still providing you're still doing whatever you can for those that you love. So I, I love that you tied that in. That's awesome. Yeah, no, and, and, and also too, like you said, you know, you don't have to necessarily love your job, you know what I mean? There's a higher purpose. There's, I think a lot of times men forget their purpose in life. You know, they think, Oh, I have this title. So I'm this, or I have this title and that defines me when in reality, what should be defining you is your place at home. You have a higher calling, which is to lead your family. 
And that's one of the things that we're going to dive into now with the transition into our topic is leading men to do the hard things. You've led men to do hard things, right? And uh, I want to start off with this uh, proverb that I heard, okay? It's a Chinese proverb. And it said, it is harder to lead a family than to rule a nation. A lot of times we as men excel in our workplace, right? But we fail miserably at the home. As a leader, Cody, and as an advisor, how can we have effective male leadership in our homes, brother? What have you seen? I think leading and training Marines and leading and training my four, three, and two-year-old, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of similarities there. <laughs> I got a bunch of, bunch of people that don't necessarily agree with what I'm putting out. Um, no, but there is obviously some alignment. But if you actually pull the, the thread on like what leadership is, I believe that leadership is just the ability to positively influence those around us towards a common goal. And if you actually think about that's the case, that word influence is, is really tricky. And if you actually want to influence other people, whether it's coworkers, whether it's your kids, whether it's your spouse, if you want to influence other people, you have to allow them to influence you. And so coming back, I come back from work trips. I mean, I'm gone all the time. Luckily I'm home now for my wife because She's almost nine months pregnant and trying to deal with these kids is extremely tough. But I mean, last year I was in hotel rooms for 160 nights. And so when I'm home, I have to understand that I have, I have a duty to make sure that my kids are, are doing what they need to do to set them up to be successful, to support my wife. Cause my wife is one to not ask for help. Like she's, she's holding it down with three and being pregnant for a majority of the time that she's been there. So that word influence, I think when I come home, you got to think like what kids want. And if what kids want is actually the same as what, what you and I want, everybody wants control over their own destiny. So if I want to influence my kids, I have to allow myself to be influenced by them. And sometimes that means not doing what I want to do. And that's what people tend to forget as parents. Like, you know what, it's, it's not really about you, even as a leader as well. There's a close, close relationship here as a leader. Sure. A lot of it comes down on you, but it's actually about the team. And as a parent, it's, it's on you, but it's actually about your kids. And so when I come home, I'm trying to influence my kids to, to do the right thing, to be a good person, to tell the truth, all these things. And you know what? Sometimes they're going to make mistakes and they need to learn those mistakes on their own. Mm -hmm. For me, I know my kids are relatively younger being four, three, and two, but I kind of let my kids, they, they learn on their own. And if they want to do something that doesn't make sense, you know what? I'm going to let them do that in a controlled environment. I'm going to let them fail in a sense so that they do learn. I think people learn more from failure than they do from success. So my kind of job as a parent in terms of leading my kids is to let them learn. And I set up these guardrails to where, Hey, I, I would like you to do this. They're like, I want to do this. They're like, cool. Okay, go ahead and do it. And they run up into that guardrail. And eventually I'm just pacing, placing these guardrails of failure in their life so that I can guide them on a path to be a successful adult. And a successful adult is, you know, doing the right thing, being a proud American, telling the truth and uh, just loving one another, caring for their family and friends. Like I don't have much for my kids in order what they want them to do. I just want them to be a good human. I feel like that's not too hard to ask, but for the most part, at least my parenting style is, I feel like they need to be in, in the driver's seat for a lot of things that they do in their life. And I know that's kind of hard for people to grasp because man, you're going to let your four-year-old do whatever they want. No, I'm not going to let them go drive a car in the middle of the street, but when they're home, like they're going to put stuff away. They're going to clean the room. They're going to help with chores. I'm going to let them do those things so that they, they can learn on their own rather than me force, force, force all the time. That doesn't work. If you're always forcing kids to do things, if you're always forcing people to do things, 
what are they going to do? They're going to push back. They're going to shut down or they're going to resent you. And the mm -hmm. last thing I want to do is when my kids turn 10, nine and eight is them resent me for being a forceful person and being direct with everything that they do. I want to be indirect. I want to let them make their own decisions. I want to let them guide themselves down this kind of path of life that we're all on. No, and I can't agree with you more, brother. Um, I think that's what is happening today in society. Um, I always have these discussions with other men, other fathers, other linemen, other, you know, uh, first responders. And a lot of the things we're seeing right now is a lot of people don't have common sense. And I think you hit the nail right in the head when you said when you allow your children to fail, setting those parameters for them and guidelines for protection, but you allow them to do the thing that develops the what we're talking about that develops the um, common sense you know and that's what we're lacking today i had a uh, past guest on here dr stephen poulter great guy by the way um he deals with a lot of top echelon people and uh, one of the things he says is right now parents are doing the work for their children so they can get into colleges he's like he's like i literally have people who are writing out these these essays and stuff like that for their kids to get into these ivy league schools and stuff he's like oh you know how detrimental that is and i was like wow you know what i mean but i see that and the big question i always get is man these kids don't have common sense they're getting under loads they're getting in the bite stuff that people should you know actually have the sense to be like man if that thing breaks it's gonna fall it's gonna kill me they're doing it and it's because i believe we have failed as parents because we have not allowed them to figure out how to do work. We coddled them. You yes, know? sir. And again, I'm going to relate this back to leadership because they go hand in hand. The true mm -hmm. testament, I believe the true testament of how you're doing as a parent is what do your kids do when you're not there? And if your kids are running amok, if they're going and getting into trouble, getting in fights, doing the wrong thing, lying, cheating, stealing, all those things, then you've done a poor job. Same as a leader. If you're gone from your team and they are showing up late, they're not completing projects, they're doing unsafe things, that just tells you that you're solving all their problems or you're letting them do whatever they want. And both those things are wrong. And so my goal as a parent is, hey, when my kids get into their teens and I'm gone for a week, two weeks, which I'm gone all the time, I'm supposed to be gone for the next three weeks, but because my wife's pregnant, I'm here. And if I'm gone for those three weeks and they're getting into trouble, if they're in school and they're not doing their homework, like, like that's on me, even though they're the one that's supposed to do that job, that is still a hundred percent on me as their parent. And so, and, and that's a hard, hard thing to grasp as a person is, well, I can't be everywhere at once. You're absolutely right. So what should you do? You should set them up for success by letting them fail in a controlled environment, explaining kind of what we're doing and why we're doing the things that we're doing. I need to make sure that I communicate properly with my kids. Hey, the reason we don't steal from the store is because of X, Y, and Z. The reason we don't lie to our parents, lie to people outside of our house is because of X, Y, and Z. Oftentimes that explaining the why behind what we're doing is often missed. And I, I and I, I'm, that's, that's, I do that a lot of the times because my oldest, my four-year-old, his name's Bear. He's to the point now where he wants to know why for literally everything that we do. Hey, you need to make your bed. Why? Hey, you need to put your dishes in the sink. Why? And I often am quick to jump and say, hey, because I said so. Because I said so is not a proper response. And you know what? If I'm saying because I said so now, and if I built that into kind of my repertoire in terms of talking to my kids when he's 12, when he's 16, and I'm telling them, hey, you don't, you don't drink and drive. Why? Because I said so. Like that is not a good response. 
I feel like it's my job right now while they're so young to explain literally everything that we do, why we're doing it so that they understand kind of um, what they're doing, why they're doing it, the, the ramifications of their actions, like why not build that into them at such a young age? So later on in life, they understand, Hey, you know what? Hey dad, he, he's absolutely right. The reason why we don't cheat on cheat on our tests is because I'm not going to actually know these answers when I go to college, when I actually get a job, et cetera. So I think that why piece it's a hundred percent easier to say, because I said so, and it's actually harder to explain the why, but if you look strategically, if you look down the road, that is what setting them up for success looks like is actually explaining the reason behind what you're doing and what you're not doing. Mm, no. And I, and I agree with you hundred percent. Um, it's training. You know, if you look at it, what we're doing to our children is training and it's muscle memory. It's no different than clearing a house or, or whatever, you know what I mean? It's all about training, you know, fastest, smooth, smoothest, quick, and explaining that why to them, your children, you know, like you said, instead of shutting them down, because literally when you tell them, because I said, so you're shutting them down, you know, and they're going to grow up being shut down mm-hmm. in life, you know, and they're not going to even want to care, you know, they're not even going to want to do or exceed in what they're being asked or tasked with later on in life. So I like, I like that you said that explaining that why to them, um, one of the things I heard you say about influence, okay, you talked about how you got out of that influence, you know, a lot of the times our influence too. what I've learned in, in my situation is in order to have influence with them, I had to spend time with them, you know, because they're being influenced, whether you like it or not, they're being influenced. I know your, your kids are, are young right now, but when they start getting to those later years, they're being influenced by pop culture. They're being influenced by media, by their friends, everything, you know, and you got to have a louder voice than what society is saying. You got to be able to be in their heads. They got to be able to say when, when, when culture say, no, smoke that joint or, or do that line or whatever it may be. Right. They got to be able to hear that voice, man. My dad said that that stuff is bad and this is what could possibly happen. And that should actually be louder than the voice that society is deeming you know what i mean and you got to have that influence you got to have their their heart basically yeah and i think that point when they're supposed to make that decision on right or wrong it's going to be dependent on the relationship you have with that person if i have a very strong relationship with one of my kids it's probably gonna be a no-brainer for them to be like hey you know what this is probably not in my best interest if I have a crappy relationship, if I don't spend time with them, if I'm doing X, Y, and Z, then that's mm-hmm. going to be an easy choice. Like, well, you know what? All these, these artists are doing this or celebrities are doing this. Like, yeah, that absolutely makes sense. And I know that sounds crazy. Like you obviously want to have a strong relationship with your kid, but it, it's like to a deeper level to the point where they are asking themselves like, Hey, is this in my best interest? Do What would my mom and dad do in this situation? Like that should be the goal there. And so that relationship Tying it back to what you talked about with time, like you're right, the, the amount of time we spend with them is extremely crucial. And I know a lot of people, whether they're stay at home parents or they work the nine to fives and they come home, they have a little more time. But hey, whether you're a lineman, cop, or a person that travels all over the world, like mm-hmm. when I'm home, like my main priority is to spend as much time as I can. And that can be extremely tough because you want to know why I justify a lot of things I do and I don't do by the excuses in my life. Whether it's, hey, I have a lot of calls in the morning. I got to talk. I got to do a podcast today. I obviously can't spend time with them. Mm -hmm. You know what? All those are excuses. And the thing about excuses are excuses make a lot more sense to the person that's telling them. You and I both, just like everybody else has 24 hours in a day. It's how you prioritize that time is what's important. So when I'm home, 
I was just gone for a week. When I'm home, you know what? I'm shutting down my computer. I'm putting my phone on do not disturb. And I will come back and check it, check it periodically. But the amount of time I'm able to spend with my kids is extremely important because sure, in a day, that amount of time doesn't really make sense. Like, hey, I spent an extra 10 minutes here, 10 minutes here. If you take that 10 minutes and you multiply it within a week, within a month, within a year, five years, how much time does that actually equate to? Mm -hmm. It's a lot. That's the difference between tactical and strategic. A little bit now, a little bit now equals big amount down the road. And so you're absolutely right. That amount of time, it's, it's how you actually prioritize it. And it's actually being in the moment when you're there. Mm -hmm. I didn't recognize this for a long time. I would come home from trips and I get wrapped up. I have a lot of emails. I got a lot of calls. I, I'm trying to coordinate with my friends and talk to them and family. And I have all these things going on. And one of the worst feelings I ever got is I'm sitting on the couch watching a movie with my kids and, and my middle kid, um, his name's Jet. He brings my phone up to me. He's like, here you go, dad. Like he, that was his like impression was, Hey, whenever dad's home, like he needs his phone to do things. I'm like, damn, like that's, that's rough. Like that's not yeah. how it should be. Sure. There is a time and place when I absolutely need to answer a phone call, but if I'm going to do that, like I'm going to go in the other room. Like this is my office. My office is my bedroom. My kids don't come in here because I don't want them to, to see me as all I ever do is I'm on the computer. I'm not spending time with them. So for me, at least what works for me is, Hey, when I'm home and I'm going to spend time with them, I'm a hundred percent. I'm not 90. I'm not 50. I'm not 20. Cause they're going to remember that just like he remembers that I'm always on my phone. So when I'm home, I'm all in, I'm taking advantage of every second that I have because mm -hmm. those seconds, they add to minutes, which add to hours, which add to days. And as you talk about, that's one thing we can't control is time. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. We can make a lot of money. We can do all kinds of different stuff, but we cannot buy back time. You know, um, I agree with you hundred uh, percent. One of the big things we always talk about on this podcast and this foundation is be where your feet are, you know, just having, it's not about the quantity of time. It's the quality of time and being right where you're at, at that moment. And it's, it's crazy because sometimes our kids only need five minutes of your time. It's that quality time though. Like even with my son, uh, he had a bad day, you know, um, we, we suspected uh, bullying, right? Um, he's my middle son and he came in and, he never really wants to open up about it. So I started playing. Uh, there's a, a guy I listened to, Michael Gurian. He's a psychologist who deals with men and boys. And uh, he said that men were very spatial. So in order to work with men, according to their, their, their side of the brain that they use, a lot of times you need to throw a ball or start working with them. You know what I mean? Like a lot of times, a lot of men believe, or they remember the time they spent with their dad by throwing the ball. When you ask them, what was the most important? amazing thing that you did with your dad is throwing the ball with him. You know what I mean? That's because that's the way we're wired as men. So I started throwing the ball with my son right on the floor, just talking to him, dude, he opened up about all kinds of stuff about a little girl. He liked about um, this kid who pushed him down and everything. And that would have never happened if I wouldn't have taken that five minutes out of my time to see what was going on. And most of the time, our kids, they're going to let you know when something's happening in their life, they're going to get your attention. They're going to start acting out. They're going to start uh, like for him, he was uh, starting to beat up his younger brother. And that's how I recognize it. I was like, okay, something's going on. He's not talking about it. M my wife, she brought it to my attention as well. I was like, well, I'm going to go take him. We're going to have dad time. So we started just playing with the ball, you know, and it took about two, two minutes for him to open up. And then all of a sudden it was like, dad, this is what happened. This is what happened, you know, and all this different stuff. So it's important to have that quality time. And it didn't take no hour. It didn't take no two hours. You know what I mean? It was like literally 10 minutes and he was able to open up, get it off his chest. And now we're being able to, to rectify the problem by 
getting him into some jujitsu classes and stuff like that to build that self-confidence that he needs, you know what I mean? To stop this bullying, you know? So it, it's awesome. The time we spend with them, you know what I mean? Is, is so imperative, you know what I mean? And it doesn't got to be a lot of time. Just make the time count. 100%. Yeah, we often, like whenever I come home, as I said, I'm kind of all in on, on the time that we have. We do a lot of things that are, I would say, pretty abnormal we are always trying to travel. Luckily, I'm in California, which say what you want about the politics, but I'm an hour and a half away from the snow, the mountains, the beach. And, you know, the crazy part about this is my four and three and two year old probably won't remember some of the trips that we go on. But you know who will? It'll be me and my wife. We'll be able to reflect on, hey, you know what? That eight hour drive that was miserable in the 30 minutes we spent in the snow, which is a true story, was absolutely worth it. And um, oftentimes, whether it's short, whether it's long time, it's actually making that meaningful impact. And I know my kids are young and I'll remember it, but down the road, like the amount of time that you put in or what you actually do, like those kids, they'll actually remember that situation. Um, and so I, I think what you talked about is awesome. Uh, when kids are acting out, it's, uh, it's easy to just say, Hey, they're being kids, but if you, you can actually identify like, Hey, something's actually going on. That's, that's a unique trait. So, um, I, I actually wrote that what you talked about in terms of the spatial, whether it's playing catch or doing something physical so that they actually open up. I, that's, that's unique. I like that. Yeah. And it, it was pretty awesome the way I figured that out. Um, like I said, I, I was on this uh, zoom call with uh, Michael Gurian and he was talking about, you know, men and the reason why men have such a hard time with, uh, with uh, counseling and stuff like that is because we're never meant to sit down for 45 minutes. You know what I mean? And, and, you know, we're, we're active as men, you know, we're hunter gatherers, whatever, you know, we're supposed to be active and stuff. And what he started doing is implementing the ball, you know what I mean? Just throwing the ball in his office with these guys. And I started using it. I started talking to the guys I talk with and, you know, man, it, it works. It absolutely works. You know, and I tried it on my son and it absolutely works. So it's, it's, it's a pretty awesome thing. You know what I mean? Iron sharpens iron. So I'm glad you're able to, you know, be able to utilize that as well. And, and what you do. Um, one of the things I wanted to ask you, brother, is how can we be committed husband and a tuned in father? What have you been doing as far as being at the house, you know, I, I know you travel, I know you are, you're, you're tremendous at what you do. When you come home, you talked about how you're there where your feet are, right? What else is there something that you do there to be committed husband and a tuned in father? Like what are some of the other things that you're doing? I think the biggest thing for me is uh, getting people, not people, getting my family like bought into what I'm doing. It's mm -hmm. one thing to see me traveling and working and like, Hey, that's just what dad does. But when I come home and I'm able to talk to my wife about, Hey, you know what? I just work with this police department, or I just work with this gas electric company and letting her know like what exactly I'm doing mm -hmm. and the impact that that echelon front is having on the, the corporations that we work with. It's not just, Hey, dad's on a plane. Hey, dad's on a plane to go work with this person, this person, and that person. And then being able to share kind of lessons that I'm learning when I'm working with these people, it gets the team, my team being my family bought in on what I'm doing. One thing I do with my kids is I have my kids help me before I leave. Mm -hmm. And I know that sounds strange, but my four and three and two year old, but and I, like I said, 160 days last year, you would think I know how to kind of pack my bags. Well, I have my kids help me pack my bags so that they're mm -hmm. part of the process. So now it's just not, hey, dad's leaving. Like, 
they're almost excited that I'm leaving because they get to be a part of what I'm doing. They're packing my bags. They're, they're getting my outfits, my, my polo that we wear and all those things. And I'm making them a part of what I'm doing. I think that's often missed because oftentimes it's, Hey, work and family where for me, I'm gone so much. I want both of those to be aligned. And I mm -hmm. think that's the biggest goal is the sense of alignment and alignment. The key part of alignment is communication man, last week, I, I found myself having a hard time to communicate back to the home front, just whether it's sending a text or sending a phone call. So whenever I'm gone, I wake up in the morning, I'm going to send my family a video call, just explaining, Hey, what I'm doing. Hey, I'm going to be out of pocket for X amount of hours. But when I get back to the hotel, I'll call you guys and all those things. And I pretty much just walk everybody through my day, just having that open line of communication. What I never want to do is I travel out, I'm gone for a week. And they're like, well, what's dad doing? Like, I haven't heard from him, all those things. And Sure, it takes more effort on my end, but if I don't take that effort, then they're just going to jump to assumptions on what I'm doing. And yeah, now they don't have really like crazy assumptions, but when they're older, those assumptions could be radically in different directions. Um, so having that open line of communication, I think is extremely important. And for me, communication is not only like what we're saying, but it's also listening as well. And I, I have to really pull myself in and, hey, when my wife's telling me something about the hectic crazy day where she's been standing for the last eight hours because all the kids were going crazy one was sick you name it i have to have the ability to listen and you know sympathize with what she's going through because look she raises my kids like our kids she yeah. raises them sure when i'm home i help but she's stay-at-home mom 365 every day of the year mm -hmm. and as much as it's like hey you know what i had a tough day i'm sitting in a hotel i just went out to a steak dinner man, I, I just want to go to bed. And she's like, yeah, well, we just ate mac and cheese for the third day and I'm having a really hard time. I always try to circle back and, and try to put myself in her shoes. Like she's going through the ringer. And if I don't, even on a micro level, just listen to her, like I am failing her as a husband and as a partner in terms of raising our kids. So even though I find myself sleeping three hours and doing all these things, like I have to spend the time and listen to what she's going through, sympathize and just make sure that we're on the same team understand like how can I support her even though I'm 500 a thousand miles away and maybe that's asking my parents maybe that's asking her parents to come in maybe asking my friends and my friends a lot of my friends don't have kids like hey man can you just check on Paige at the house make sure she's okay hey I'm gonna order dinner can you bring that over all those things just so that she knows like and at the end of the day all I want her to understand is hey we're on the same team whether I'm in the house or whether I'm a thousand miles away I'm here to support you and I always have to bring myself back to that and making sure that both of us are on the same page in terms of what we're doing in a, in a family dynamic. Mm -hmm. I, I, I love that, bro. That's amazing. Um, as a leader as well, too, one of the things that I, I've done was being able to recognize when the people that we are leading need the help. I think that's important as a leader. You know, when you start seeing that where they're failing in a certain area or they're lagging behind in a certain area, being able to recognize that because sometimes a lot of times people don't even know that they're burning out, you know, mm -hmm. and as a leader, it's up to us to be able to be like, okay, how can I not take away your role, but step in there to help you? How can I help you? Cause I think a lot of times as leaders, people need a hand up, not a handout. Right. And we need to help them. And, and a lot of times too, even with our spouse, what I've learned is having that empathy that you talked about because you really don't know what they're going through until you put yourself in their shoes. And it comes off sometimes kind of callous, especially being an alpha male, 
You know, when I say alpha male, military, police officers, firefighters, linemen, we know what we, we have. You give us a job in front of us and golly, if it's to take that mountain, we're going to take that mountain. You know what I mean? That's just us. That's our nature. Right. And that's a leader. But we also have to be able to empathize and see that and get out of that work mode and be able to recognize when the people we are leading need our help, need that break. You know, and that's good that you're seeing that and you're empathy, you're empathizing with your wife. You're seeing that and you're leading her and you're making the adjustments that you need to be able to help her. That's awesome, dude. If more men were to do that, I think a lot less marriages would be absolved. You know what I'm saying? Yes, sir. And I think what you talked about, the the asking, I, one of the biggest tools I've ever utilized, whether it's a leader or in a relationship with friends or family, is the ability to ask other people for help. Because think about what that does like from a leader or subordinate standpoint. If I'm a subordinate and you're my boss and you ask me for help, like that's awesome. You want to talk about the ability to influence when I have somebody that has more experience, more time in the workplace, and they're asking me for help, even though I probably know they have the answer. You're building the relationship, you're building trust, you're building respect. Talk about the ability to influence, it's there. I think that is crucial. And oftentimes as leaders, as parents, as people, we wait for other people to come to us and ask for help. As you know, like that's really hard to do. It's really hard for a person to be like, hey, you know what, David, like, man, I'm really struggling. Uh, I'm not really getting this task done or even more so. Let's have a hard conversation. Hey, David, man, I've been drinking way too much. You know how hard of a conversation that is? If you don't have a relationship, if you don't have trust, nobody's going to have that conversation. So I think what you talked about, the ability to ask our subordinates or ask our spouses, ask our people in our inner life for help, man, that is such a huge tool that is often underutilized. I can tell you, I do that all the time. Paige in the other room, she can attest. She'll be like, hey, babe, look, I really need your help on this. Like, I'm trying to find a way to make sure that uh, Bear is really like uh, dialed in when he plays baseball, just random example. Even with my kids, hey, hey, Bear, look, just yesterday, we we're building a new kind of edging around our lawn. Hey, man, hey, do you want to help me out? Like, I really need your help on this. Like, I'm having a hard time kind of putting these blocks in, in a straight line. Like, you want to help me out with that? And he's like, absolutely. And so I think that the ability to ask people for help even though you're the subject matter expert, even though you're the alpha male, even though you're a leader, you have the ability to let your ego get out of the way. I'm just asking mm-hmm. people for help. People love to help. They don't like to ask for help, but they do love to help. So I, I, that's awesome. Kind of the correlation there between what both of us are talking about. Yeah, absolutely. And then it just shows that level of humility too. Really, you know, you talk about ego. I know Jaku talks about ego a lot and it's so true. That ego gets in gets in a way a lot of the times, you know what I mean? Sometimes you just got to just humble yourself, you know, and ask for the help, you know, and that, that's so big. It's so big, especially leading your family, leading, you know, being with your, your wife, you know, a lot of times, you know, as men, I know for me, I never wanted her to know that I was struggling. I never wanted her to see that I didn't have it all together. I never wanted her to know that I was worried you know, for whatever that be ego or, or, or her, you know, me, um, me, uh, putting fear in her because I didn't have all the answers, you know, cause a lot of times as a leader, they're looking to us, our kids are looking to you, you know, daddy, what are we going to eat? Daddy, what are we going to do? Daddy, we're going to do this. You know what I mean? And a lot of times we don't have the answer, you know, but it's so good to have mentors around us, like what you're doing with echelon front, you know, having these mentors, like what I'm doing, I have my mentors, my group, you know, I, we are a nonprofit 5013 C. I go to the guys that have influenced me, 
in my life so I can go to them and they can hold me accountable. And I'd be like, Hey man, I'm struggling in this area. Hey man, I'm doing this or whatever. You know what I mean? And it's good to have us to surround yourself with people that can lift you up. Like I talked about earlier, give you a hand up, not a handout. Yeah. I think what you just talked about oftentimes, I mean, as men, just speaking for myself, I like, I see that when I'm asking for help, when I, when I, when I don't have everything figured out, like I see that as a sign of weakness. Mm. Actually it's on the contrary. If I don't know what's going on and I don't ask for help, like we need to make sure that we're not naive as leaders and as parents, like they're watching what you do. They're watching, they're critiquing and they're judging what you do. So if I pretend like I know what's going on, people are going to see right through that. Mm-hmm. And if I'm pretending I know what to do, like they're going to know that I don't know what's going on. <laughs> you want to talk about a, a, an ability to lose trust is when you pretend to know what you're doing. So yeah, that um, I have a hard time with that. Um, like being who I am growing up in a house where my dad's a cop, like I was always taught to be very unemotional. And mm. um, a lot of guys at Echelon Front joke that I'm kind of the, I'm the most unemotional person they've ever met. And that's just the way I've always been. I was extremely emotional as a kid and just kind of this flip switch, like just my father kind of being kind of the stern police officer. It was, Hey man, like we, we, we don't cry. Like we're not emotional. And it stuck for a long time. And then I went to the military and even more so like, Hey, you, you don't become emotional. Sure. You get aggressive, you get angry, but you don't get sad. You don't cry. Like that's not what we do. And I think there's a stigma attached to men, attached to fathers, attached to alpha males in terms of, Hey, you know what? The sensitive side, like don't show it. It's weakness. Mm. And that is the wrong mentality to have, because if I'm modeling that for the people that I work with or my kids where I'm like, Hey, don't cry. Don't be sad. All those things. Like I'm just setting them up for failure because there, there is a hundred percent likely that they're going to run into a situation where they want to be sad, where they want to cry. And if I'm telling them, no, 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 no. Like, man, that is, that's an internal struggle they're going to face. And mm-hmm. um, I've learned that the hard way. And, and, I'll, and I'll even pivot to switch to a story because like I said, a very unemotional person. I think the last time that I like physically cried was when I was eight years old. I mean, I, I can, I can vividly remember the situation. And so growing up, I've always been put in situations, whether it's military, whether it's friends, family. I mean, growing up, my father's uh, partner was killed in the line of duty. And that was like the one time I've seen my father cry. I got that happening. I got family members dying. I got people in the military committing suicide, dying in the line of duty, all these things. I never found myself being emotional. And then I had kids mm-hmm. and then I started to, and I, and I don't want to jump to the sad emotion, but I started to feel this emotional tie. Look at echelon front. We talk about this concept of detachment. Basically mm-hmm. detachment is, Hey, when you're getting riled up and you feel like your emotions are going to come out, like you have to take a step back, whether it's physically, whether it's mentally. So you don't make an emotional rash decision. Mm-hmm. And so I started to have kids and then I realized like, Hey, detachment, I've been really good at that. I mean, I've been in an incident in a training exercise where I took the blast of a rocket. I took that to my right eye. And in that situation, I was cool, calm, and collected. Like, like nothing ever happened. And then I had kids. And detachment, look, the closer you are to a problem, the closer you are to a plan, the closer you are to people, the harder it is to remove your emotions from that situation. Mm-hmm. And as I had kids, I found this kind of unique dynamic of, well, like, look, this is literally a carbon copy of me. I'm very emotionally tied to them. And as I mentioned before, man, I, I'm gone a lot. Well, last year um, I'm in Mississippi and I live in California. My wife calls me. She's like, hey, Bear, who's my oldest? Hey, Bear just had a seizure. 
And there I am a thousand miles away and I literally can't do anything to help the situation. And for the first time in my life, I didn't know what to do. And that, that scared me. Yeah. Absolutely scared me. And I was really frustrated with myself because as you talked about like, Hey, I'm the man, I'm the leadership instructor. I'm the Marine, all these things. I'm, I'm supposed to one that I'm, I am the one that's supposed to have all these answers and mm. I actually didn't have the answer. And so I get home, me and my wife are kind of going through like, Hey, what do we do if this happens again? Because one thing I, I pulled from my military career is, hey, situations like this, if they happen again, like don't make the same mistakes. So we planned, we learned, we did all these things to where if it did happen again, we would be ready. Mm-hmm. Well, I fast forward about six months. It's about, I think last October, home this time with my family. It's like Wednesday afternoon. And my wife looks at me and she goes, hey, I think it's going to happen again. And I'm like, oh shit. Okay. Like, well, we know what to do. So anytime my son, he, he spikes a fever, his body goes in kind of defense mode and his body has a seizure to kind of calm him down, cool him down. Mm-hmm. So he's about to go into the seizure. So we put him in an ice bath. We're trying to cool him down. But if anybody's ever seen a seizure, if you've seen one, like it's inevitable, it's going to happen. Yeah. He starts to have the seizure. And as I'm sitting there watching my firstborn son, one thing that I know to be true is that calm and chaos are both extremely contagious. And I knew in that moment in time, if I was to act crazy, if I was going to get pissed and scream and yell, my wife and my three, my two-year-old who were in the room, were going to do exactly that or even more so. So I look at Paige. I'm like, hey, babe, like take the kids, get out of the room. Like I got this. Even though she wanted to be there, she was emotionally heightened. And I kind of was like, hey, I, I got this under control. So I take my son, I throw him on the bed and then he starts to have another seizure. And this one's a little extended and it, it's not making sense to me because I've seen people have seizures before, but this isn't looking right. And then I realized this concept of detachment, because every time I say the word detachment, just what's been ingrained with in me from learning from Jocko and Leif and the team is I take a step back because that's, that's what we teach. Yeah. And I find myself looking at my son and I literally take a step back and I'm like, oh shit. I'm like, okay, well, like what's going on right now? I don't know what to do. And in that moment, I realized that I needed to ask for help. And for me, like, that is my biggest kind of red flag in life because mm-hmm. for the last 29 years, very few times have I had the need to ask for help because for the most part, I can figure stuff out or I have people on my team that are in, but in that moment, it's just me. And my red flag was, Hey, I need to ask for help. And so watching my son, I call a buddy that works at Echelon front. Who's been a firefighter for a long time. I'm like, Hey man, uh, like this is what's going on. Like, I don't know what to do right now. And I had to be okay with saying that because I actually didn't know what to do. He's like, Hey, okay. Like, uh, let's FaceTime. He's walking me through. He's like, Hey, you need to the hospital right now. He's like, okay, like we can do that. We ship my kids off to the neighbor. And as we're going down the freeway, it's like 2 PM in the afternoon and we hit gridlock traffic. So I'm driving, my wife's in the back and you want to talk about escalation. She gets overly emotional. Cause now my son's have another seizure in the back seat. She's like, you need to get past him, go through it. And we're, we literally can't go anywhere. Yeah. What can I control in this situation? I can't control the traffic. So I detach I'm like, okay, well, there's traffic. Traffic means that there's probably a car accident. Car accident means there's probably a police officer somewhere. So I take the shoulder, I find a police officer. I go bang on his window. I'm like, Hey, sir, this is what's going on. Can you get us to the hospital? He's like, check. Okay. So we kind of part the seas. We get all the way to the hospital. We finally get him checked in and everything. And for the next couple hours, we get to watch our oldest son just in kind of this post seizure mode where he can't talk. He can't hear. And he's literally just looking through me at the wall behind me, not able to do anything. And as I'm trying to dissect that situation in terms of detachment, man, there's, there's a lot of things I wanted to do in that situation, right, wrong, and indif- different. 
but the cool thing about detachment is if you're able to detach, if you're able to take your emotions out of kind of the problem solving matrix there, it allows you to do what you need to do and not what you want to do. And what I needed to do was ask for help. And that's really hard for me to do. Mm-hmm. And had I not understood this concept of detachment and took my emotions out of the equation, who knows where we would have gone in that situation. Mm-hmm. So whether it's emotions, whether it's detachment, it's all correlated together. And I think as a person, as a role model, because as a parent, like it or not, you're a role model. Yes. You don't have your emotions in check or you don't sympathize and empathize with those are getting emotional. Like you're setting up your team, you're setting up your kids, your family for failure. Oh, absolutely. You'll definitely lead them astray. Um, one of the things I liked that you said about the detachment, you know, that's, that's something I learned as well in the military, you know, is we called it calm, cool collective. Mm-hmm. Right. And um, that's helped me a lot with my family stay calm because as a leader, like you're talking about, we do, we have that influence. If I'm in a heightened sense of alert, I get off of work, I've worked 24 hours straight, whatever. Right. And when I used to come home, I had this anxiety built up because I had just, I was probably like four Red Bulls in or whatever, you know what I mean? Coffee all night. I'm, I'm in work mode and everything. I come home, they feel that anxiety. And I was able to change the whole entire atmosphere to it where everybody was work like literally walking on eggshells mm-hmm. in my home. And it wasn't for a while that, you know, that I saw that. And then I started to recognize that. And I was like, man, I don't like how this is. My kids are on constant edge. Right. And then I started noticing, okay, I needed to make the, make the changes, you know, and one of the things that I learned, you know, while I was talking to one of my mentors is he's like, oh, we're sitting at his house. Right. And he opens the door and it's cold, you know, and the cold air is winter. The, the cold air comes in. And I was like, what are you doing? Miguel? I was like, shut the door. And then he's like, oh, okay. And he shuts the door. He's like, what did I just do? I was like, let in the freaking cold air. You know, he's like, I changed the atmosphere. He's like, oh, that's what we do with our influence. When we come into our homes, we change the atmosphere. We have control over the atmosphere. You need to be detached, you need to be able to leave work at work, right? Be where your feet are. Okay. And I was just like, man, you know, I've always taken that concept with me wherever I go. And another thing too, the detachment too, you got to find that balance with it. Right. Because I grew up just kind of like what you're talking about, very strict, strict home to where, you know, you didn't cry. I grew up in a perfection home where we had to look perfect. Even if we just got our faces beat in or whatever, When we went outside that home, we had to look like nothing was going on. Perfect, right? We had to put on this mask, okay? With that being said, I learned not to really have empathy a lot of times and just kind of be kind of cold, you know? And that detachment there kept me from being able to attach to my children. It put up these blockades to where I wasn't able to to, to even show really emotion towards my wife. And that drove a wedge dude between me and my wife. So you got to find that balance because it does work. I mean, it does when you're able to stay calm, cool, collected when everybody else is freaking out, you know, that's, that's, that's amazing. That's a good thing. But also being able to show those emotions to your children, being able to show that empathy towards your wife, you know what I mean? When she's going through a hard time, you know, like you, I mean, your wife was going through a hard time. Your kid was having a seat or, you know, these, these, these epileptic seizures, right. Well, you're on the road and stuff like that. And, you know, I, I've, I've been through that too, you know, where my wife's calling me and she's like, Oh man, I don't know what to do. You know, our son is literally allergic to 
my breast milk and he's screaming. He hasn't stopped screaming for two days. And she's like going to have a nervous breakdown. And I'm on, I, on, on an ice storm in Oklahoma. You know what I mean? And it sucks. You feel absolutely helpless as a man, you know, when you're a few thousand miles away. So I empathize with you, brother. I, I mean, that's, that's awesome that you're able to detach like that and, and stay calm and stay focused and be able to, like, I like to say, talk your wife down from the edge, <laughs> you know what I mean? Cause that's where they go sometimes, you know, and they're looking to you for your leadership. So it's good to be able to detach like that, but it's also good to be able to empathize with them as well. You know, find that balance, you know, it's, it's definitely a balance. Yeah. I, I didn't, I didn't, I obviously didn't clearly clear, uh, talk about that detachment is like hey when your emotions get to level 10 like when you're at level 10 do you usually make a good decision no you usually make a bad decision i think you're absolutely right there's a point where if you're at a zero out of 10 all the time like what are people going to think that ties back to what you talked about in terms of closing and opening the door i think we have to be honest with ourselves and understand that our attitudes are extremely contagious whether mm-hmm. you're a leader or whether you're a parent like it's 100 true so everything you do and everything you don't do like People take that on board with my kids. If I'm driving and someone cuts me off and if I'm swearing and getting upset, like, what do they think is okay? Yeah. And any parent knows like they're little parrots. And so when they say something, <laughs> I'm like, oh, where did they learn that? I'm like, oh, well, they learned that from me. And so whether it's being emotional, whether it's the words that we say or the actions that we do, like it's all, it's all, it's all contagious to mm-hmm. leadership, to parents. It's, it's universal. Mm-hmm. Now, the last question I want to ask you, Cody, before we get off of here, brother, is how can we step up in this role when there are so many distractions pulling at us in opposite directions to be this leader, this point man in our family? Like, what is one thing, like, if you were to see yourself 10 years from now, what advice would you give yourself? Oh, man, 10 years from now, what advice would I give <laughs> I think the concept of balance. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think balance is extremely key. A lot of times I find myself with my kids um, doing the things that I want to do mm-hmm. and understanding like whether we like it or not as parents, like it's, it's, it's not about you. Like it's about the kids. And for me, we, our first kid we had, I was 26. We, me and my wife were both 26 and I have friends that are in their thirties and they're still out vacationing all these things. And so at a very young age at 26, I had to understand like, Hey, like, it's not about you going to parties. It's not about you going on vacation. Like it's about the kids. And so whether you're there, whether you're not there, like they're going to learn, learn everything they need to know from what you do and what you don't do. Um, so a lot of times I always have to remind myself like, like that, that's what it's about, whether I like it or not, or whether you like it or not, like as a parent, it's, it's about your kids. And so, and whatever your kids turn out to be, that is a direct reflection of you. Just as a leader, whatever my team goes on to do, whether they get promoted or whether they go to a new industry, they are a direct reflection of you as a leader. And so if I always have that in the back of my mind, which is something I constantly have to remind myself whenever they're, they're starting to go to school now and what they do at school, they're not doing it because, because that's, that's what they've learned from outside sources. For the most part, they're learning it because of what I'm doing or what I'm not doing, what my wife's doing, what my wife's not doing. And so if I constantly have that in the back of my mind, which is something I struggle with every single day, like how much better are my kids going to turn out to be? It's on me. It is hundred percent on me, but it's not about me. It's about my kids and what they do moving forward. So, and I think a lot of that stems back to it's, it's all, all the, I love this conversation because all of it's kind of interlapping yeah. there's a lot of overlap here. Like, look, as a parent, what you say and what you don't say and what you do and what you don't do 
carries serious, serious weight. Yep. And like as a father, as like this alpha male and what, what we're calling it, a lot of times I feel myself not saying a lot of things or not doing a lot of things because I feel like I'm going to be weak. And I feel like I'm going to be judged by my kids or by my wife or my coworkers or family members. Like, Hey, that, that's not what men do. That that's a, that's the wrong mentality to have. That yeah. is selfish, extremely selfish. And so balance, I think balance is key. Trying to balance work and family, trying to balance being a man and being a husband balance is key in everything that we do. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for that, brother. I thank you for coming on to this podcast, man. Um, Cody, how can people reach out to you, brother? Yes, sir. So on a personal side, you know, with almost four kids and traveling a lot, I only have one social media. I can, I only have, I only have so much time, as we said, yeah. uh, I, I'm, I'm only on Instagram. So it's just Cody, C-O-D-E-Y dot Gandhi. And then in terms of on the business side and what I do for a living. So I work for a company called Echelon Front. If you don't know what Echelon Front is, it's a company started by Jocko Willick and Leif Babin. They wrote the book, Extreme Ownership. Um, it's a group of us military first responders that teach kind of lessons learned from our previous careers. And we, we tie it to what people do in their day-to-day life. And it's not only in a business sense, but it's on the personal side as well. So it's just echelonfront.com. Um, nothing fancy. And that's, that's the, those are the two places you can find me. Well, once again, uh, thank you for coming on here, Cody, man. I appreciate you. I know that our audience is going to get tremendous value from this dude. And uh, just thank you for your time, bro. I know you're a busy guy and uh, just, Continue to be blessed in all your endeavors, brother. I appreciate it. And congratulations on your new child that's coming into the world quickly. <laughs> you know? Well, I just want to take, I know you're thanking me, but I want to thank you for, for what you're doing. Look, as a parent, there's no one way to do parenting. Yeah. And a lot of times like resources like yourself as a podcast host with having different people on, like that's what parenting is about. Like there's not just one book on how to do it. It's conversations with people that are parents or as leaders. And you're just pulling things that you like and what you don't like. And then you're kind of making your own mold. That's the same thing as leadership. All the leaders I had in my life, I was like, Hey, I like that. Ooh, I don't like that. I like that. And I just make my own parenting. There's not one way. And so what you have with your ability to talk to just people from around the world in terms of what they do and what they don't do, I think it's extremely unique. So I just want to take the time to thank you for kind of the platform that you built and what people can listen to. And I appreciate that, man. I do. Cause uh, a lot of times it's just like, man, what am I doing? <laughs> you know what I mean? And man, I, I just appreciate guys like you to come on and just, just share what your, your knowledge, you know, iron sharpens iron. Like I say it all the time. And uh, I appreciate you brother. And appreciate for your service as well, dude. You know what I mean? I, I love having veterans come on here. Uh, there's a, a place in my heart for that. You know, um, I've had a lot of good friends that were, you know, veterans, top echelon, the top of the spear type guys like yourself. And, uh, man, I, I learned a lot from those guys. You know, I, I really did. So once again, I appreciate you and, uh, we'll be talking to you soon, brother. All right, sir. Well, I appreciate it.